Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, I know that you sat down, but just to give you a moment of two to actually get up and say hi to those people who are around you. You guys seem so excited. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. Well, I am glad that you're here. Um, want to say a few things before we start. Uh, the first one is I have to confess that in preparing for uh, this message this week, I had and still have an agenda. Uh, I've picked up two books recently. One of them is entitled uh, Gaslighted by God, and the other one is Abraham's Silence. And both of those books talk about Job and his experience. And uh, it's refreshed a new perspective in me on how we handle trials. And so my agenda initially was, I want to destroy the cliche of the God is good all the time, all the time God is good. And as, <laughs> you're welcome. As I was working through that, I was realizing, <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm a little off on that one. Not completely, but a little off. And so I did change things a little bit. And as the week went along, uh, I added more and I added more. And what I wanted to do is in one week actually answer the question, can we, and then how do we, that's two questions, uh, wrestle with God. And uh, to be honest with you, I never got there. <laughs> Sorry. So it is actually a two-parter, and unfortunately, the second part won't be until a few weeks later. But my hope is that you'll see something about Job, his experience, um, as well as how we can actually respond and wrestle with God in the midst of extreme trial. So I just wanted to say, say that up front because you might be leaving here feeling a little like, okay, you raised the question, but you never answered it. What's wrong with you? So now you know why uh, I wasn't able to fully get to that place where I could answer that question. <clears throat> so uh, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to just take a few moments, and I want you to think, and I'm not doing this maliciously in any way, shape, or form, I want you to think about what might be some of the most painful moments in your life some of the more painful moments in your life. So I'm actually going to ask us to spend a few moments in silence before I read us a poem. And I'm going to ask us to bow our heads, close our eyes. And as you're reflecting on those moments or moment that sticks out most to you as we're trying to reflect and connect with God, to just ask God whether it still hurts or not, bring healing. Father, you Speak to us in silence. And, if I'm honest, I don't like silence. I don't want to think, I don't want to reflect on who I am or how I respond to things. I just want to keep moving forward. Father, I ask now just for your mercy and your grace upon each and every one of us here <clears throat> that as we 
try to understand how to respond to the inevitable that we will find you to be sovereign. Amen. Well, I want to start with a poem. This poem is from Scripture. Um, It might not be the most uh, exciting poem that you've ever heard from Scripture, but it is there. And uh, this is what the poem says. At last, he spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased, and the night I was conceived also be erased. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high, and let no light shine on it. Curse that day for failing to shut my mother's womb, for letting me be born to see all this trouble. Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from my mother's womb? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest. Oh, why give light to those in misery and life to those who are bitter? They long for death and it won't come. They search for death more eagerly than for hidden treasure. They're filled with joy when they finally die and rejoice when they find the grave. Isn't that an inspiring poem? Aren't you like, man, I, I love that poem. I'm going to put that in a frame, uh, you know, at home, and I want to look at it every morning. Yeah, it's not really a, a great poem, but when I, I think of this poem, and I just think overall of the ways in which we can respond to the extreme pain in our lives, there are at least three ways that I came up with. And the first one is reject God. And we're not going to talk about that today, but sometimes in the midst of tremendous trial, people say, to me, it's pretty obvious there is no God. Does anyone remember who Ted Turner was? Ted Turner's way back in the 90s, uh, TBN, was it, wasn't it TBN, I think, or TNT? Either way, he was uh, founder, uh, big, the big CEO beyond all that. And there, whether you know it or not, at one point in time, he was actually a very charismatic, Pentecostal-type Christian. And his, when his sister died of cancer-slash-leukemia, he stopped believing in God. That's his response. Now, I'm not slamming the guy or just saying anything, but just to give us a sense of you can reject God. I'm not going to talk about that today. There is another way in which we do, which is express your faith. And I'm going to put this in quotes. Let me see if I can pull this up. Well, I'll get it later. Is the Christian way. And the Christian way is the thing that I wanted to look at, which in what I talked about as an agenda was my hope to sort of destroy that thinking of what the Christian way is and saying that is the only way in which we can respond. And then ultimately, this will be a few weeks from now, uh, another way. There is a second Christian way in which we can respond to the extreme troubles and pain that we have. So with that in mind, I want us to understand, we're not going to read the story of Job. Is anyone here not familiar with the story of Job before I quickly uh, summarize it? Anyone? Well, yeah, that's kind of a good because if you raise your hand, everybody's going to look at you and go, what, don't you know? So skip that. Um, but if you don't know the story of Job, just kind of let me uh, share a little bit of it. Uh, there's a point in time where God and Satan have a conversation. And the author of Job, whoever it might be, tells us this pretty clearly. He says, God considered that Job was a man of integrity and of righteousness. And I know for some people now, as a little back step, Job can be seen either as 
historical or parable or allegorical. I'm going to go with historical just for the sake of saying I think it's a little bit easier to tell the story. But God sees Job and he turns to Satan and he says, have you ever considered Job? That guy, man, he has integrity, he is righteous, he is blameless, he loves me. And Satan says, yeah, whatever, but only because you protect him. And so he asks, can I mess with Job's life? And God says, sure, go ahead, because you're going to find out that in the end, he is still going to praise me. So what we have there is that sense of looking at Job and going, here is his story. And as we're seeing his story, we're trying to understand what is it that truly Job, or who is it that Job truly is? Because God says Job is loyal. The author says Job is loyal to God. In fact, it's mentioned by the author once, twice by God. And even in the story two more times, it says he still maintained his integrity. So we have this guy, Job, who's a good guy, who loves God, and now is going to face a test. His test, unfortunately, is this. His entire wealth is taken away from him in one day. He will also lose his children, all 10 of them. And so he's facing this very extreme trial. Now, I had to picture in my mind, what would it be like to be Job? You wake up in the morning and your thought is this. You turn towards your kids and you say in your mind, I have to make the sacrifices for my children because they're having a feast today. And if they do something wrong, I want to make sure that God forgives them. He's concerned about his children. He cares about them. He wakes up like that, and he goes about his day. And I don't know if it's late morning, mid-afternoon, or evening, but suddenly messengers are coming out of nowhere, and they're all saying, you lost your sheep, you lost your goats, you lost this, and the worst part of all, you've lost all of your children. That is a most horrific day. All your wealth, all your children, gone. You wake up in the morning, your thoughts are on God, you go to bed at night, and you have lost everything. If you look at Job chapter 1, verses 20 and 22. Let me see if I got this right. Am I not pointing correctly? I might need a little help. There it is. All right, great. Here's the multiverse. Again, a combination of verses, and I really encourage you to start this practice. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, in mourning for the loss of his possessions and his children. (coughs) Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came into this world naked from my mother's womb, without possessions or children, and I will be naked without possessions when I die. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken away. In worship, may the name of the Lord be blessed, praised, and magnified. In all of this, Job did not sin by foolishly blaming God or charging God with wrongdoing. Take a deep breath. How would you describe Job's reactions to this? Give me about a few seconds in your own mind. How would you describe Job's reaction to this situation? My first glance is, this is the Christian way in quotes. Initially, I think to myself, wow, I really admire the fact that Job has lost everything, but he can still worship God. 
I say, wow, what faith? Because my faith so weak, if I lost just one, not all five of my children in one day, I would be devastated. I don't even know if I would have it in me to actually say, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, may he still be magnified. Because then my next thing is, seriously? I mean, I wish I could look face to face with Job and say, seriously? Really? You can actually say that? And in my mind, there is a sense of disbelief as to, come on, Job, you're doing the Christian thing. You're just saying that because you want everyone around you to just kind of see that you actually follow God. Because my wondering is, is Job then something like a robot? Like, you don't care about your kids? You just lost 10 children. Who cares about the wealth? You're probably one of those who could get that back with your own strategic thinking or whatever, but you just lost 10 children. It's not because he's a robot or he doesn't care, because it says what? In the beginning, Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, in mourning, not just for the loss of his possessions, but also his children. So he's not a robot. To me, in a sense, then, it comes back to this is an impressive expression of faith. This is an impressive expression of faith. Job has lost just about everything. And he can say, may the name of the Lord be blessed, praised, and magnified. God has so touched Job's life that my original disbelief throughout the week has grown into a sense of admiration again because I really believe from his heart what he is saying he truly meant. But that doesn't mean that I don't think this is dangerous or even frightening. And I say that (coughs) because many times when we do experience extreme trial, we go the Christian way. And we expect people to live out the Christian way. That's our response. You follow Jesus. God is sovereign. God is in control. Jesus is your Savior. He is Lord of all. You can trust him. And then we use things like praise the Lord. Or like I said earlier, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. God works out all things for the good of those who love him. And when we add the who love him, it's kind of like saying, if you can't say praise God, then do you really love him? Or we also say, consider it all joy when various trials come upon you. So there's a tension there, isn't it? There's a sense of admiration for Job. And yet there's a sort of disbelief that says, if we perpetuate this (coughs) and say the Christian way is always to respond like Job, who is the model of impressive expression of faith, then most of us will fail. Maybe not all of us, but I think most of us. This week, uh, in reflecting on this, I had two very interesting conversations. One with someone I know, um, from years ago, uh, who experienced the murder of her daughter. It's a 19-year anniversary, and she called me up. This is 19 years, 
and I still grieve. I still grieve the loss of my daughter. It was a hard day for me today because I couldn't stop thinking about what could have been if she were still alive. I think of my parents that even though my brother, whose anniversary was October 21st, 1983, was killed in a courtroom, even till the day of their death, my parents still struggled with the loss of him. I think of the classmate that I have who lost her toddlerish son at a young age, still even years later, is still working through the fact of her loss. And I, and I bring this up because I want us to see that what Job did really should be admired. How he responded to this trial really did come from his heart. He really did trust God because the author says here pretty clearly in all of this, Job did not sin by foolishly blaming God or charging God with wrongdoing. He is to be admired. But when we make Job the model and pattern for everyone who goes through something, I do believe that we have succumbed to what I call the Christian way. <clears throat> but it doesn't stop there for Job. If you know the story, after losing all of that, God and Satan have another conversation, and in the midst of that conversation, Satan says, Listen, God, I, I get it. <clears throat> he did pretty good. But like every other person, if you start striking him personally, it's going to get personal, and I believe he's going to fail. And so he strikes Job with a disease. So Job has, from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head, boils all over the place, painful boils. And here in chapter 2, what we find is Job sitting in a garbage dump, scraping the pus off the boils that he has. And you would think when you look at him, you'd go to yourself, wow, dude, you do not look good. Uh, I don't. Uh, there's a guy I play softball with the 50 and over league i think what he said he weighed like 315 pounds at one point last year when he was playing softball and uh he came back and was like dude man you lost a lot of weight and it's because he struggled with cancer he lost all that weight and what he was and when i see a picture like that and that's not even a bad picture because he still looks pretty decent but when you look at people who go through a disease and you see how much they physically change You've got a slight picture of Job and how much he has changed. And so when people will look at him, their, their thought is like, wow, man, you are like in really bad shape, bro. There's something really going on. You've lost everything. Now you've lost your health. You look horrible. Horrible. What's his response? Then Job's wife said to him, do you still cling to your integrity and your faith and trust in God without blaming him? Renounce God. Curse God and die. Now, before we rip on his wife, you have to understand, guess what? She also lost all of her wealth, and she also lost 10 children. And I think she begins to give us a hint of the second way, the second Christian way, but we won't get into that Get into it later. What does he say to her? He says, you speak like one who speaks impiously and foolishly, ignorant and oblivious to God's will. What? Shall we accept only good at the hand of God? And shall we not also accept misfortune, adversity, and disaster? In spite of all of this, Job 
did not sin with words from his lips. In the end, Job has been tested and he has passed. He passed. He kept his integrity. You know, one could say he was godly in his response. His response is the Christian way, not the Christian way. Because it appears to me in praising the Lord, his implication is that God is good. He understood that God does work all things together for good. He considered it all joy. I'm not saying Job saw it as easy, but those were his thoughts, as we see in Scripture, as how he went through this. So we have Job 1 and 2, and we see Job experiencing tremendous adversity, still worshiping God. Now, how many of you have ever read, and I can ask this one, there will be no judgment here, at least out loud, but how many of you have ever read all of the book of Job and understood it? See, I understand chapter 1, I understand chapter 2, and I understand chapter 42. 3 through 41, when you read all the metaphors that are there, it's like, dude, I do not get this. Am I reading Leviticus again? What is going on here? But when we see that Job's story isn't over yet, we think it ends in chapter 42. Let's read what happens here in chapter 42. It says this, After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temite, I am angry with you. He's not angry at Job, but he's angry at Eliphaz. I am angry with you and your two friends, My wrath is kindled against you, for you have not spoken accurately about me, nor have you spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. God's stamp of approval is, this guy Job has done me a solid. He has done it right. He has responded correctly. And our thinking is, going all the way back to chapter 1 and chapter 2 is, well, God obviously is commending him for his spirit of worship in the midst of all of this adversity. That's awesome. That's great. Let me read this. At last he spoke, and he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased And the night I was conceived erased as well. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high and let no light shine on it. Curse that day for failing to shut my mother's womb, for letting me be born to see all this trouble. Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest. Oh, why give life to those in misery and life to those who are bitter? They long for death and it won't come. They search for death more eagerly than for hidden treasures. They're filled with joy when they finally die and rejoice when they find the grave. Anyone want to guess who the author of that poem is? David, it looks like you do. Job! (laughs) Yeah, isn't that crazy? You read chapter 1 and 2, and Job says, May the name of the Lord be magnified. This is awesome. And then when you get to chapter 3, he says that. He basically says, I wish I was never born. I wish I was dead. This is ridiculous. 
Why must I see so much misery? Just take me now. Now think back for a moment to your moments of pain before we started. Let me ask you this. If you can really reflect on that, do you remember responding the Christian way? Did you continue to dwell on anger or disappointment in God? Possibly. But my question then is this. Is there another way in which we can respond to God? Is there something in Scripture that tells us different? Because think about it. Chapter 1 and 2, Job is full of praise. Job starts chapter 3, and I only read you half of his poem, of how he it comes to a place where he says, I am so much in pain, or I am in so much pain. This is my second or another response to God. You see, God admired, honored the first few responses. And I think when we get to chapter 42, and you can read those as they're up there again, I think and I want to state that God's commendation of Job (coughs) is not because of his response only in chapter 1 and 2, but Job's responses from chapter 3 to chapter 41. There is a, no quotes, Christian way to respond to extreme trial. There's also a way to, the Christian way, respond to extreme trial. And our unfortunate thing is that many of us have these expectations that when you go through something, you must respond the Christian way. You must worship. Look at the world. The world needs Jesus. And if we can go through suffering with the fullness of God in us, how can the world not be attracted to Jesus in that way? There's truth in that. But there's also the world might look at that and go, that is so messed up. See, because I think the book of Job has a lot of sub-themes, but the book of Job ultimately will teach us how we can actually wrestle with God in the midst of tragedy. So let me finish with this. I... In doing the preparation for this, would agree that Job should be commended for his responses in chapter 1 and 2. I am not taking away from Job's experience. And I do believe that that is the model response. That is the goal that God wants us to get to. A place where (coughs) we can actually praise his name in the midst of tragedy. But I also want to say this. I do not believe that for all of us, and for everyone and every time that this should be our initial response. Because I do not believe that it is also Job's one and only response, as we saw in Job chapter 3. His response is, this is not good. This is tragic. This is horrible. I really wish that I were dead. So we're not taking away anything from Job and his response in the first two chapters. What we're saying is there is a way to respond, honor God. But there is a second way to respond to God, and that is to be able to wrestle with him. 
So Job was a righteous man. He blessed God in good times and bad, just like he says. And if someone has that experience of God, that is awesome. But we do not all go through that. And maybe the tension for me is that when I look at Job and see all that he has done, I think to myself, wow, I wish I could be like that. Because my honest response is, oh, I'm so angry. I'm angry at the circumstances. I can be angry at God. If it's a relational thing, I'm seeking revenge or vindication. And I think to myself, I am so unlike Job. And I think that goes back to my agenda because what I wanted to say is I'm not like Job, but I still want to have faith. So I feel bad about myself because I'm not like Job. And it came to me as I was sharing this with the college students at U of I as they're doing their Bible study, is that the ultimate goal that God wants us to get is to a place of worship in everything. That's the goal. That's the plan. But there's also a process, which is that second Christian way. Because we don't all get there immediately. And we feel horrible that we're not where Job is at when God is saying, I get that Job describes his experience. Your experience may be slightly different. I'm reminded of the psalmist who says, my God, my God. Remember, the psalmist said this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the midst of the psalmist's pain, the psalmist feels abandoned by God. No, I'm not foolish, but who else said those words? I know you know this. Go ahead. David, you can't answer. You already answered. Anybody else want to answer? Did somebody say Jesus? Somebody did, right? Right. There's the godly way shown by Job. And there's the second way shown by those who go through that suffering and who go through that pain. That's what I want to look at next time. You see, the first response of Job, I believe, is the ideal This is where God wants us to be. The second set of responses by Job, I consider to be the real. This is where God meets us. God will still meet Job. And in the end, God will still commend Job. One, because he responded with praise. And two, because he wrestled through the issue with him. Not a passive acceptance. Because I'll be honest with you, again, stressing my agenda, I'm really uncomfortable around people who experience tragedy and say, well, just praise the Lord. God is good, and he can be trusted. My answer is, you're right. But are you there? Because that's not an easy place to be in the midst of grief and struggle. So today, I'm just laying the framework or the platform of how we can actually wrestle with God. And I'll look at in a few weeks. What I want us to do now is just bow our heads, close our eyes. And in this moment of silence, I want you to ask yourself this simple question. Series of questions, my apologies. When I think of that moment are moments of extreme trial. How did I respond? Was I like Job, chapters 1 and 2? 
Or was I like Job in chapter 3 and following? And to pray for healing. But maybe you need to get to a place where you say, God, I understand your plan to receive worship for the good and for the bad. But I am in process. I'm working through this tragedy that I have experienced. It is so difficult to walk this path. I'm in so much pain. I'm reminded that I feel more like Job's wife and saying, curse God and die. Just get it over with. I would say to you that perhaps Job's wife and even Job himself, as we'll see next time, still had godly faith. So if you're beating yourself because of your response to an extreme tragedy, I believe God would invite you to say, stop. Let us wrestle together. You'll see many times throughout Scripture where God wrestles with people. Not just Jacob, but also Jeremiah. Also David. And even Jesus wrestled with God in the garden. All expressions of impressive faith. The place where God wants us to be, but may not be the place where you are at right now. But he wants to walk with you, talk with you, even wrestle with you to get you to that place. So before our our praise team finishes up in the final round, I'm just going to give us maybe, if you could give us a minute of silence. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.